Bring it on, Yugi! Alright, it's time to duel! That's a nice attack, but I'm not down yet! You're listening to the Shadow Realm Podcast, brought to you by Bamani Lounge. Welcome to episode number five of the Shadow Realm Podcast, and I am here with my comrade, Zach. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm feeling pretty good. I just won an Ad Emancipator core last night, so I'm still flying high off of that. Nice. For those of you at home who don't know, Zach is actually a member of our team, Bamani Lounge. He's one of our newer members, and he's also going to be the co-host on some of our future episodes to come. So let's all welcome Zach, as he is a very degenerate subterror player. So yay, Zach! <laughs> Woo! Zach, tell us about your accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. Beating our probably the best player on our team in the finals, Peter Garcia. Um, how was that matchup like? You were playing subterrors, and I believe he was playing at emancipators. Correct. I actually played two at emancipators in a row in top four of this event. And uh, the first one, I thought there was no chance I was winning game one because he went first. He excavated a Kawaki Mirror Guardian off of his first excavation, and all I had was an Ash Blossom. So I thought I was cooked. But then I drew my sixth card, and it was Mystic Mind. So I knew if I just baited the Borload Savage Dragon, all I had to do was stick the Mystic Mind and then just wait, and that won me the game. Uh, and then, of course, went to game two and then game three. Game two, I got blown out of the water in game three. I just had, like, the perfect setup. I had, like, Judgment, Fiendus, Imperial Order. There was no way he was winning. And then against Peter, I happened to win that dice roll. So that's a very impactful dice roll win for sure uh game one i had the full setup and it, it was just too much for him and game two he actually bricked he drew like a bunch of non-rock extenders that weren't enough to get to like even gallant granite and like cyclone ash like a bunch of other stuff that you don't want to see when you're playing rocks going first yeah i just cleaned it up from there if you look in the Yu-Gi-Oh! dictionary and look up Degenerate, there's actually a picture of Subterra Guru. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah, what? everybody can stay mad about it. The most Degenerate cards are literally Mystic Mine. There can be only one. Subterra Fiendus is just like very easy, searchable hand trap. And it's just like a mesh of just Degenerate degeneracy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to lie. Top decking that Mystic Mind was the only way I was winning that game, and it was just perfect. Right. So, obviously, the Shadow Realm podcast viewers know that I play combo, but Zach, you don't always play these stun decks like Darnell does. You like to play some combo decks. I know we both play Thunder during Thunder format, and you For like playing sure. the combo Eldlick. So, what's your favorite deck? Is it Subterrors, or is it more of a combo-heavy deck? Actually, I think it's funny that the two decks that I'm best known for and I have loved the most over all the time I've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh! both came from the Dark Illusion. So the one set that I like is obviously Subterrors, but then we also got Spiral in that set. And incidentally, we got Cosmic Cyclone and Fairy Tale Snow. So those are all cards that I have used in all of the decks that I've played and had the most success with. So... Dark Illusion is low-key best set of all time. It gave us Spiral, gave us Subterra, gave us Cosmic Cyclone, and Fairytale Snow. Like, you can't argue with that. Best set. 
It's a very good set. Actually, when you think of one of the best sets, you probably think of Duelist Alliance and you think about all of these starter sets. But that was actually pretty good. At the time, no one really knew if there was going to be a strong TCG exclusive. At the, a couple of years back, we had Burning Abyss, then we had Cosmos, both, both very strong archetypes. And then there was a bunch of hype as to Subterrors being good because they had a couple of secret rare slots with Hidden City and who was it, Nemesis or something like one of the, one of the level four guys that searched. And yeah, Nemesis Archer was a secret rare as well, and right. she's low-key amazing. Right. So, and people didn't think Spirals was going to be good, but then we got Double Helix and it was tier zero. So that set was low-key very broken. I didn't. I don't think anyone knew how broken Snow was at the time. I mean, it saw some play, but it wasn't like how it was in grass format. So that was a, a very good set, I would say, for Yu-Gi-Oh! Definitely. It gave me like all of my favorite archetypes and... Yeah, man. I just I love the artwork of all the Subterra cards too. They just look so cool. Right, right. So no, it's just definitely one of my favorite decks is Spirals. Now, the first time Zach and I played against each other was at Locals in Flushing, New York, and we sat down against each other. And Zach was playing his Spiral strategy, and I was playing Pendulum Spirals. Now, my Pendulum Spiral deck was one of my favorite decks. I used to go into Time Wizard Magician and search Master Plan and Pendulum Summon it out and like go Akashic Magician and search two off of Master Plan and then like Special Summon the Super Agent. Like it was so much fun. Like I really enjoyed that deck. I think I went to like Firewall. It was so much fun. So I believe I won that one. I'm just saying. I think I think I I think I took that one. <laughs> you know what? You probably did. But I had you and so Elias both played some like really crazy combo decks. I remember uh, I played against Elias one time, and he was playing Spiral Mech Knight, and I was oh, yeah. like, "Damn, we, that's, we, we built that deck together." Coolest, yeah, that was like the coolest combination I'd see. And then he scraped me that round, and I was oh. like, "You know what, bro? I'm not even mad." Oh my gosh, you don't even know. We went to every single tournament we could. Elias, so for the for the viewers at home, Elias was the co-host of the first episode, and. Elias and I, in May of 2018, created this Spiral Mech Knight deck, and we were so confident. Like, we would summon a Blue Sky, and it would, it would get Ash or Ogred, and we would be like, sure, normal summon tough, special summon agent, go double hit, special summon master plan, make an unbreakable board. Nibiru wasn't a card back then. Like, if you got past Ash and Ogre, I'm not even sure if Called By was a card back then. Like, it maybe it was very new, but, like, if you basically got past ash and ogre you were winning the game and as soon as double helix like resolved you won so i remember at brooklyn regionals i played against a altergeist player and it was game three of the last round of regionals the winner gets like i don't know we weren't playing for top eight but we were playing for like 10th place or something like that and game three i special him in blue sky and he goes like ash and i was like sure Summon, summon tough, summon agent, go double helix. It was the best thing ever, man. I just love that deck. But I like spirals because it allowed for innovation. A lot of people play it the cookie cutter way with a lot of hand traps. I never really played it that way. I like to play it with combo. I know that you like to play it that way too. So definitely love spirals. For sure. So we have a great show for you today. We have a couple of segments. The first segment is set rotation. Is set rotation viable in Yu-Gi-Oh? The second segment will be just talking about the meta 
at large. I know we talked about it last week's episode with Eric Christensen. And our third and last segment will be from Road of the King. And we'll be talking about getting the read, which is a lot about the mental game and how important that is in winning at Yu-Gi-Oh! So let's get into the show. So the first segment, drum roll, please. Set rotation. So, Zach, when we talk about set rotation in Yu-Gi-Oh!, we see it in Magic and maybe other TCG games, but we have a ban list in Yu-Gi-Oh!, so what does set rotation mean? Well, it means only inquiring, only including certain sets in one ban list, if that makes sense. So you're including maybe the last three sets and maybe a couple of sets from the Synchro era, maybe a couple of sets from the Xyz era, and maybe a Pendulum set. And let's discuss, do you think set rotation could be beneficial for Yu-Gi-Oh? Do you think it would be its own format? How do you think set rotation would would affect the TCG advanced format? The thing that makes Yu-Gi-Oh special is the fact that we don't have a set rotation. If I wanted to play Dark Magician, the card, there's nothing stopping me from doing that as long as Dark Magician is not forbidden on the forbidden limited list. Just an example. So I could go back to 2002, 2003 and play any card I want legally as long as it's not on the ban list. Like, that's a pretty cool concept. And it means that if you own a card that was printed way back in the day, then like you don't have to be going and buying a whole new deck every single time you play. As long as you have good staples, you can just change out the engine. And it also allows for innovation. I remember Nationals. I wasn't there at Nationals, but I remember watching it on stream and seeing the Aqua Dolphin resolve on stream. It blew my mind. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Neospatian Aqua Dolphin in 2018. And it, it, it was such a hype moment for me, just seeing that come out of nowhere, because I think that was when that, that tech first was being used. And like it was the first big time that it had been seen was on stream. And it's things like that that make Yu-Gi-Oh! special for me. They're like, you can go back into 2003, 4, or 5, or whatever set, and pull out this random broken card from back then that never saw any play. And then suddenly it's like the best card in the format. I think that's so cool. And you couldn't really do that with a set rotation type of format, unless like, maybe like you were saying, you could go back and say like, you know, all the sets from 2004 and then all the sets from 2013. And then like maybe a couple of the side sets here and there. If you make a curated format kind of like that, I could see it being kind of a nice addition because we all know that traditional format is trash. And I think a lot of us do want to have a different kind of format besides just advanced. And I think if Konami were to make a curated set rotation format, I think that would be super cool. I agree. And I just want to say that I was actually at Nats in, in Fort Worth, Texas. And I remember literally... Coming back to the hotel after handing in my deck list right across the street at the convention center, and my friend Vincent comes in the room and he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm playing three Aqua Dolphin." And I'm like, "What? Why? Like, why are you doing that?" And he's like, "Oh, you, it rips ash." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that would actually be pretty good." But then we <laughs> play we play tested a couple of games and like I still won, and like it sounded so good in theory, and it did like make it to the top tables, but I didn't play it in Goki, and he did. And 
All I know is he was out by round three, and I was still. I played the whole. I played the entire day one. I think I ended up X three, but I, I did okay. And I agree that there are certain old cards that it's cool that you get to play them in the current meta. However, I'm going to give an argument as to why set rotation would be a good thing. So for starters, you see a lot of unnecessary cards get banned these days. And it's because of old certain old cards weren't meant for the current state of the game. So to give an example, like a very current example, I talked about how Mooling Glacia should get banned, and there are some people that agree and some people disagree, but the reason why I think it should be banned was because is because it's so easy to search out. It rips two cards for free, and you do it at the leisure of your Mermail combo, just searching off of your Dragoons, which is now a very consistent play, being that Diva is at three, Dragoons is at three, and you still have three Netibus. And this card was made way before Lynx came out, so it was super hard to put waters in grave and i believe it came out even before synchro so it's like it wasn't meant for like in order to put waters in grave you would have to pitch them off megalo or destroy it by battle it was super hard to put cards in grave outside of using the mermail effects so now you could just summon two waters link it off go into how quiver how quiver ibrax and have just five waters in grave and you just special summon from your hand rip two and then you start playing the game so like it has no, like, I think it's a fair card for when it came out, but now it's just too good, and I think it should get banned. Obviously, talk about Black Dragon, but what if there is, whether it's, whether it's the main way in the, in the main advanced form of playing Yu-Gi-Oh, or maybe if it's, if it's its own format, I think it would be cool to have set rotation because it would allow people to play certain older cards that maybe were met weren't meant to be comboed with certain other cards because there are cards on the ban list that yes they're very good like zodiac barrage is that one because it's a one card rank four and that's fair dryden was obviously banned broad bowl was banned but what if broad bowl was was allowed in a format when there aren't that many obviously you have the zoo cards but maybe there aren't other beast warriors to search or maybe it's just you could have it in its own standalone time. But yeah, I think there could be times when you want to play certain older cards that are banned. And maybe it would be fun to have a format where it's like you could play the last three sets. Maybe Duelist Alliance is legal and the Duelist Alliance cards are very strong. You could play Graph at three and Seer at three, but you don't get the degeneracy that comes along with Fairy Tale Snow. Maybe that card is not legal. Or maybe Snow is legal and grass isn't and there's certain combinations that you could have and i feel like if it were to reset every couple of months just like we have a new ban list every month then it could allow for more innovation and allow for more just fresh combos because right now i feel like even if there's a ban list we like even if black dragon gets banned i feel like we're still going to see adamantipators for a very long time it's just like after Eclipse Wyvern got banned, like you still saw Dragon Link do a lot because Guard Dragons were still a thing. So I think that it would be fun to just have like a reset every once in a while and just get to play new cards. Now, 
it would be good for the market because they get to sell new cards and vendors get to sell different cards, maybe sets that wouldn't sell would now sell better. So what do you think from a market standpoint, do you think it would be advantageous to vendors for to have a set rotation? I think that one of the saddest things uh, is when I go into a card shop and I see all of this old product that like I would love to open, but I just know there's no value in there. Like, as good as say like Stardust Dragon was, if I find a tin of that, like there's not much of true value you could get in there. It's better to just keep it sealed, which I think that kind of sucks. I would like it so that if you were to make a format with set rotation, you need the cards from those sets. Like, you know, reprints aside, you would need to have those cards. And the only way to really get them would be to open up some older product. And that would kind of keep the the older product coming off of the shelves. So I definitely think that would be good for a like a vendor standpoint. Maybe not the greatest for a player standpoint because you would have to continually buy new cards instead of you know just like hanging on to your impermanences and always being able to play those. But definitely, we do want to support our locals. We do want to make sure that they're still around so that we can keep playing the game that we love. I agree. I think that when it comes to set rotation. There are certain old cards that everyone wants to be able to play, like you mentioned, Dark Magician, Blue Eyes. And if there was a format where those weren't legal, maybe some some hero cards weren't legal, I think it would turn off some of the, the more casual players that just want to play their favorite cards from the anime. So I think that could hinder... So that could turn off some people from playing competitively if they don't have access to their favorite hero cards. Maybe Stratos isn't in the format. Yeah. I think for meta, like, I think it would be, I think you would be able to balance certain formats easier. Like, if there was a combo format where Firewall Dragon wasn't in the format, but you don't have to, like, and, and you could just play combo and, like, none of the toxic extra cards like no firewall no gumblar no sarayuja like say those cards weren't in the format and then you have more of a control format and maybe firewall is legal you're or it's at least to the point where it's fair where there's not as many starter cards or enabler cards and i think konami could be creative with how they allow people to play their favorite cards like maybe you could play firewall for this these three months while we're in quarantine where there's no actual events, just like Huckle Fibrax. And it, it would allow them to st- keep on selling old product. It would allow them to, to endorse the, the cards that they made. They don't have to ban them permanently because we'll probably never see Firewall ever again. And it'll allow them to be more flexible. Like they don't have to ban a card for good. Like it would be cool to know that I'll get to play my Colossus again like sometime soon instead of having to wait three years if i'm just a thunder dragon player and i refuse to play Yu-Gi-Oh if i don't get to play thunder dragons which i considered i like at least i know that one day i could play my favorite deck again and then if it's not legal the next set i could either take a break or play a different format so i would say if i were konami I would stop trying to push all of these new like rush duels and speed duels and Duel Links is its own thing, but I would just say be more creative with how you're organizing your tournaments 
rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. I think that a lot of people from a nostalgia perspective would enjoy playing cards from certain sets. Maybe you mix dualist alliance with the current format that we have. You know, what if BA was at full power and then you had Adam Antipater at full power and Shadal is at full power? Well, I mean, Shadal's are already at full power, but you know what I mean. I think it would be a very good Clash of the Titans and that would be that would be interesting to watch. Like if they had a tournament and I got to witness that, I would watch it just because I want to see what happens. Like I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh becomes so predictable to the point where it just like blah. Even if there's a ban list and they hit one or two cards, most people already know like how to play the deck or they know how to adapt. Like the best players will always know how to adapt. So I would just try to make it so that it's it's harder to to predict how the, the meta is going to shape. And this way, even the best players have to, you know, be more innovative and they have to adapt even more. And I think that would make Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot more interesting, at least to, at least in terms of watching tournaments on stream and participating in them. What do you think about that? I mean, I see what you're saying. Uh, formats become solved very quickly, especially in times like now where we're all in quarantine and a lot of people have nothing better to do than to just grind on dueling book for like 10 hours a day. And you sort of bring up a point that I think is actually an argument in favor of having set rotation in that if you play an older format like goats, you play goat mirror match those kind of matches are incredibly skillful. Or for example, like the Zodiac mirror match was incredibly skillful because there's a very set card pool that people were actually using. So it wasn't like an imposed restriction of a card pool, but it was just like the best cards available at the time. Mm -hmm. And so when you play a Zodiac mirror match, more or less, you know what you're going to get. It's either going to be pure zoo, it's going to be Draco zoo, or it's going to be Kaiju zoo. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, it's just a couple of tech choices that really make or break the matchup. You know, you had people playing uh, the Shuffle Reborns and the My Body as a Shield and the Cosmic Cyclones. So with such a defined card pool, it's really interesting to see how, like, when you're on the same playing field, you have that very skillful interaction. And it's truly who is the better player that ends up winning most of the time. So I, I do enjoy that. I completely agree. For those of you who are watching, please feel free to leave a comment on whether you're, if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on Spotify, you can actually go to our Discord at the Bonnie Lounge Discord and you can let us know, leave a comment, start a conversation. What do you think about set rotation? And do you think it's viable in Yu-Gi-Oh? Do you think it should be its own format? Do you think it should overtake the ban list? sort of format in advanced and let us know do you think set rotation could be implemented in Yu-Gi-Oh? do you think it would have the same success as it does in magic do you think it would be beneficial to konami do you think it'd be beneficial to the vendors do you think it'd be beneficial to the player base there's a lot of different stakeholders when it comes to the Yu-Gi-Oh competitive scene and i think that from a player's perspective I wouldn't be turned off by it. I think it would be interesting. I think it would be new, it would be fresh. And let us know what you think. All right, we're gonna now shift into our second segment, which is the metagame. Zach, how do you feel the meta is taking shape right now? And where do you think it is going in the next coming weeks? 
Well, obviously, this has been a very interesting time to play Yu-Gi-Oh! because of COVID-19. We really can't play Yu-Gi-Oh! the way that we would like to, because it's it's an in-person game, and so there are definitely factors that are missing. Like, a a lot of the mental game has to do with, like, reading your opponent's facial expressions and things like that, and you can't really do that over online tournaments. But at the same time, the, like, uh, how would I say it? The the game in a in a bubble, I guess, without the human component, is evolving so quickly because people have nothing better to do with their time than just be on Dueling Book all the time and just be entering online tournaments. And so you're seeing, like for example, Eldritch in the first weeks of the format, it was already a very strong deck with just the traps at its disposal and then just like regular good cards like Solemn Judgment. And then a couple of weeks go by and suddenly we're seeing the invoked Eldritch version. People discovered that that Magician Souls was broken because you just pitch a couple of the spells and traps and then you get a free plus two at the end of the turn after getting the plus one from Magician Souls and then having Mechaba and all of the traps and the fact that the, the the zombies, including Golden Boy, are all light monsters, just like it had so much synergy. And then people discovered the uh, the Halky Fibrex synchro shenanigans that was a generic combo that just required Jet Synchron, which, you know, tuning happens to mill. So, you know, you might uh, be really sacky sometimes and like mill a Golden Lord or one of the traps off of the tuning, and then you do your combo and end on a plus four. So it's just like it, it's it's gone from regular trap stun deck to invoked hybrid to synchro combo eldritch so quickly and i feel like that kind of innovation would not normally happen as rapidly as it does uh, in this particular environment because there aren't any real events to host but there are so many online events that are taking place right now so on the one hand i enjoy seeing things develop and I think there's always going to be a new tech. I think there's always going to be surprises. But uh, it, I understand why people are kind of upset with this format. Like, you know, saying ban Block Dragon, ban Halky Fibrax, ban Jet Synchron. You know, everybody's got a different opinion. But uh, honestly, I think that it's not the worst format I've ever seen. I mean, I, I lived through Goki Gumblar. I lived through, like, you know, uh, Trickstar Sky Striker. Like, I've lived through some bad times, and this doesn't seem too bad. Like, put up a couple of negates, like, that that seems fine. I also lived through Pendulum FTK, like, so many FTKs in 2018. That was, like, the worst year to play Yu-Gi-Oh! So this does not seem so bad by comparison, and even with Hockey Fibrax in, um, in the metagame and enabling so many degenerate combos, I mean, like, imagine if we had Hockey Fibrax plus Summon Sorceress, or summon sorceress and firewall dragon like that's just way too much and so i think we had to get halky fibrax eventually and i think i actually got to give uh some kudos to konami for not giving us halky fibrax until now like waiting until the end of master rule four to give us that card i think that's really great because we still get to see the degeneracy and see what it's capable of doing but not creating like a tier zero combo Halky Fibrax Turbo kind of format. I think there's still a lot of diversity here. Like dinosaurs are a very scary deck and generators are low key, super underrated. 
So I think there's a lot of fun to be had in this format, but you just got to look for it. There are definitely some dark horses in the format. I personally haven't played much in the last week or two, but I know the decks that were good pretty much are still good. Like you have your at Emancipators, which is the deck that I am currently on. And then you have Combo Eldlick. I actually had a conversation with Hanko Chow, who is a very well-known player. And I talked to him about Eldlick because I was looking into possibly making my own Eldlick zombie build. And he had one on YouTube that I thought was very good using Gullet Bloom as a normal summon and being able to search Golden Boy through Bloom or searching Balderdrock or Jacko Bolin. And it was actually a pretty interesting build. Unfortunately, he said that it kind of gotten got overshadowed by the whole Jet Synchron. But he actually had an interesting take on the meta. And he was like, all right, dice roll. Who wins the dice roll? Who goes first? They commit their Halka Fibrax play. Are you able to stop it? Yes. All right. I'm going to make my Halka Fibrax play. Are you able to stop it? And then it's like whoever stops the Halka Fibrax play, it's like a clash of the the engines outside of that one play. So it's like if Dino's play against Eldlick, it's like, all right, are your Dino cards better than the Eldlick traps? So it's kind of like that. So I thought that was very interesting because, you know, how you build your deck, you want to have multiple layers of synergy. So you want to be able to make the Halka Fibrax play and have that as consistent as possible. You want to play just enough non-engine cards or defensive cards that allow you to stop your opponent's play. Of course, you have Nibiru. People are playing the new hand trap, the Ghost Mourner. People are playing Effect Bailer and Permanence trying to negate the effect. People are playing Nibiru, obviously trying to, to negate the whole, stop the whole play at large. Obviously, Ash is still being played. You have your Ghost Ogres here and there. So it's, and then of course, DD Crow. There's so many different hand traps that are being played. Gamma. And it's like, you have to. I forgot Token Collector. Token Collector. How can I forget Token Collector? So you I have, saw that card and I looked at it and I went, this will be played someday. I don't know yeah, when, but it'll yeah. be played someday. Eventually, maybe when Skateboard came back or something. Yeah, I agree. And so you just have a clash of all of the decks, the different engines in the game. I personally think that, like, Ad Emancipators is so broken on so many levels. Like, yes, Black Dragon is good, but they just have so many cards that give you another card. And I cherished an Ad Emancipator player the other day because I was testing cherries and I bashed his Halka Fibrax and it literally didn't matter at all. <laughs> so like he just did full combo. He still ended on Savage plus Union Carrier with Buster Lock. And I believe he still had like an IP Masterena with Block Dragon and Gallic Granite. Like it was really good. And I think that engine is just so broken that if they just, and he, I don't, well, yeah, he did use Black Dragon, but I've played against Adam Emancipator so many times where they don't even get to Black Dragon or whether you negate the search, and they're still able to do so many things. So I feel like that deck, if people like assume that it's not going to be good after they just hit Black Dragon or they just hit Halka Fibrax, I think they're in for a Root Awakening because the engine as a whole is just so good. And I feel like if they take Halka Fibrax out of the picture it just increases the lead that 
puck that Adamantipator has over the other decks because I feel like Adamantipator, yes, they use it for their combo, but they don't rely on it as heavily as the other decks do. Like, if you take Hakka Firebrax away from Dinos, then I feel like all of a sudden their first turn play is gone. Like, they, they're, they're back to being a going second deck. Same thing with Mermails. Like, they don't really have that turn one play anymore. They just have to rely on ripping cards from your opponent's hand. And, like, me personally, I think that Moon Glacia might get checked. So they might have to come up with a different way to win going first. So I think that if you look at the meta right now and you, you should, what you should do is you should imagine that Halco Fibrex doesn't exist because at the end of the day, that's what people are building their deck to stop. So very few times will Halco Fibrex go through. Yes, if it goes through, you probably win that game. But if it doesn't go through, then you have to think of, all right, now how am I actually using my engine cards to overcome my Halco Fibrex being stopped? And then also, how do I score? How do I stop my opponent's Hakka Fibrax from going through? So that's more or less how I think the format is. I agree with Hanko Chow, so shout out to him for having a very good take on the format. And how do you think the format is, Mr. Guru Player? <laughs> well, I've got like sort of two, a two-pronged approach here. I think that you can either take the format and just lean into it and play the degenerate combos and like you said, clash of engines. You just assume that your Halky Fibrax is never going to resolve. If it does, then you probably win. But if it doesn't, then you got to think outside the box. And I do actually kind of enjoy that because it does force you to think on your feet. Like you can't just memorize a combo, put on your helmet, and then just, you know, make a Goki extra link. Like you actually do have to think. I was uh, experimenting with an invoked Eldritch Synchro like synchro light build uh, where I would basically just be trying to bait a Veiler on the Halky Fibrax, even though like I wasn't playing that many targets for it. I was just playing one jet synchron as a target just to help with link climbing. If it goes through mostly just for OTK to get into access code talker. But the idea was like, if you open like magician souls and the Tenyi spirit, then you've got a tuner and a non tuner. So you can make the Halky Fibrax, you can, you know, pitch cards, baits the Veiler, and then you just do your Eldritch stuff anyway, so they go minus, and then your engine should overwhelm them. But if you draw the Alistair, then I figured out a way where you can make Kaliga equipped with the Buster. So, like, they get one monster effect, they get one attack, and they can't go into their extra deck. And that's just off of the two-card combo that can either do the Halky Fibrax OTK, or it can go into Union Carrier because uh, the Tenyi can be... A Link Karibo, which is a dark. Alistair's a dark. Two darks make a Union Carrier. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So you can either like lean into that and like just say, I'm going to push through all the hand traps I can. Like Ad Emancipator is capable of pushing through three, four hand traps right now. It's really absurd. And for my money, when a format or a deck starts becoming that way, it becoming that toxic, where like no matter how many hand traps you throw at it, it just still wins anyway. At that point, I take a back seat and I think, Okay, so no matter how many hand traps, is not going to be enough. So instead, I'm going to focus on either building my deck to go first and win that way, or play enough good going second cards that I can break through their board and not even try to stop them, but just break it afterwards. That's why cards like Dark Ruler No More are just so good right now. Um, it, in particular with Guru, 
I'm playing uh, obviously the terraforming and also a set rotation to help me get into a copy of Mystic Mind. Mystic Mind. And this is what this is what helped me beat Ad Emancipators going second because they just ended on the Buster Lock, which by the way, Guru doesn't lose to. That's another thing is like just play a deck that doesn't lose to what is going on in the format. So like he he went Buster Lock and I was like, all right, that's cool. I'm just going to be banishing six of them anyway. And that's exactly what I did. And he negated with the Borload Savage. And I'd already top decked the Mystic Mind. So I was like, all right, GG, slap down the Mystic Mind. So like when a deck that toxic can just auto lose to a single card, I do think that's pretty funny. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's pretty hilarious losing to a card that doesn't let you play Yu-Gi-Oh. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> do you think that moving forward, if... How could Firex gets banned? Do you think we're going to get back to a format where there's more control decks when they kind of creep back into the format? Because don't forget, for a very long time, we had Sky Strikers, which how can we not get through the meta segment without talking about Ryan Yu winning the recent LCS tournament with Sky Strikers? And now that is the deck that I've seen a lot on dueling book just watching matches participating in some i've seen a lot of sky strikers and i feel like if hakka firebrax gets banned now we know sky strikers are utilizing hakka firebrax and in their own unique way making access code talker and cheesing wins that way which is perfectly fair and legal with the new cards i think that if hakka firebrax gets checked we'll start to see even more of these decks we'll see decks like sky strikers we'll see decks like Alter guys, we'll see decks like Guru. I think we'll see a lot more of those decks. Salad, if that deck doesn't get hit, which it probably won't, obviously has it's not like that powerful, but obviously got a huge boost with Paralytic Seed. So I think if Halka Firebrax just gets banned, I feel like of course we'll still see combo, but I feel like we'll see Elvik maybe return to pure as it was at the beginning of the format. What do you think? Do you think we'll see more of these control? you know, trap-heavy decks with maybe a lot of hand traps and not a lot of combo cards? You know, I've held this pipe dream for a long time, and I feel like a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! players have had the same pipe dream of like, oh, if we just if we just ban this one card or these like two or three cards, then we can go back to a format where there's like just control everywhere. And every time I think we're about to go into that format, it just like, it gets overwhelmed by some new combo. So I don't think you're ever going to completely eradicate combo decks and i think they're always just going to be the strongest decks around yeah I agree. that being said i think if you do take halky firebrex out of the equation which by the way i don't think they will yet i think the first things to go it's going to get the firewall treatment of like okay we're going to get rid of jet synchron and then we're going to get rid of uh, like quick draw synchron and then we're going to like limit tuning and then we're going to do all this, all this other crap but we're never going to actually address the problem because Konami still has sales to make, right? Right. Like people are saying, oh, ban Verte Atacanda. Like we haven't even printed Red Eyes Dragoon yet and right. they need to sell that Megaton. That's how they're going to sell it. Right. I agree. So I think there's, there's always going to be a degenerate combo. And I think it's a testament to Yu-Gi-Oh that we keep coming back and keep playing even when we find formats to not be maybe as fun because there's always innovation to be made. You can always go into a room at a YCS or a locals or wherever you are, you can always go into a room and anticipate the meta. Sometimes things come out of left field, like the, I don't know, the, 
the aqua dolphin that we mentioned earlier that came out of left field for me nice. but that just that was the thing that made an already broken deck even stronger but there are definitely wild cards like uh infernoids going like 16-0 that one time shout out to there Aaron wild cards we had in our shout last out to Eric christensen yep <laughs> I, I i agree like listen i am all for a adaptation when it comes to Yu-Gi-Oh! We've talked about it before when decks just continuously adapt to the new formats and when we when we saw like Eclipse Wyvern and Guard Dragon Agapane get banned, we saw you know how Combo Thunder adapted up until the point where classes got banned. It was still a viable strategy. Of course people were playing the prize card. And now that I feel like we're in this this era of Yu-Gi-Oh when there are just so many new cards like I, I couldn't even tell you what half of these cards do. And that's the, usually I'm the first one to know what all the new cards do. I could not tell you what some of these link, these, these links from dual overload that we got like two months ago already. Like I still don't know what half of them do. Like I just read Celine the fir- for the first time the other day. Like I still, like there's just so many new cards and I feel like the room for innovation is so big that, if Haka Fibrex gets banned, we're just going to see the next best link from that set get a, more and more abused. Maybe we'll see a new Pendulum combo, or all of, all it takes is the right rock card to come out, and then Adam Matsipater just goes back on top of the meta again. Or perhaps another Dark Machine that's broken in Orcus. And, you know, how can we ignore Orcus? I feel like Gersu is such a strong card. We've seen Gersu... Be released now here in North America. Officially, we got the product now. Most of the locals have the set to sell if you want to pick it up. And we will see more Orcus variants. We'll see Mech Knights as a very strong going second deck being able to search Gersu and they get to play Orchestrated Return because if they resolve Blue Sky, they get to search one or two. They could search Gersu. They could either normal summon Gersu and then, you know, get the effect, send a World Legacy, then they can activate Orchestrated Return, send Gersu, draw two more cards. This is a very good strategy for going second. Shout out to Shannon Long, one of the best mech, best mech Knight players that I know. And there's just so many decks out there that I think we'll see a lot of adaptation. And I, I think that, listen, I'm not going to turn into a bandless video, which we may or may not get by the time this, this video is recorded. We're recording on June 1st. They said no sooner than June 1st for a ban list, so who knows what will happen with that. But I think that no matter what we see get hit, it'll be a couple cards. I don't think they'll murder these decks because the decks haven't been been able to be played at any tournament. So I don't think that Halga Firebrax will get banned directly just because it's only been legal for a month, but it's never even been legal for one actual Konami-sanctioned tournament. So I don't think we'll actually see how can Fibrex get banned? Perhaps Block Dragon. Block Dragon's been around for a while. I think we'll see the older cards get banned. Like, yes, maybe Jet Synchron. They'll be like, yep, we missed this card. Like, we have to hit this card too. And, I mean, how could they not look at these online tournaments and see what's going on? <laughs> Obviously, they're not stupid. They must look at what decks are doing well in these unsanctioned tournaments and, you know, how could we use these to now improve our own tournaments? Because I don't think anyone wants to sit, whether it's IRL, if we ever get back to that form of Yu-Gi-Oh! Or even in these new form of, I forget what they call it, like at-home Yu-Gi-Oh! duels. 
Uh, uh, remote dueling. Remote dueling. I don't think they want people to just witness Hakka Fibrax plays with Jet Synchron and people just sitting there for 15 minutes. Like, that's not fun. I feel like they want to engage people in the remote dueling if that's the form of Yu-Gi-Oh that they have to play for the next little while. I feel like they have to do something to mitigate the consistency in which, the, or the accessibility in which a deck like Eldlick, which is supposed to be a control deck, you know, get access to their combo. So I feel like we do have to see something. I think that we will see a ban list probably in the next two to four weeks. I don't think Konami is going to like pull the trigger anytime soon because they have no sanctioned events that they're trying to balance. So like, you know, what do they care? I think at this point, their primary concern is selling product. And the ban list is partially a, an engine for them to help sell product. Right. And as of right now, I mean, they've sold their dual, dual overload. They are definitely still selling Eternity Code. People are still buying. So I don't think they're in a huge rush to change the format. Uh, but I know that they're definitely paying attention to what's going on because, like right. you said, they're not stupid. They want to sell product. And one way that they'll do that is by seeing what's popular, what's being played, what cards are people actually using. And if they see it getting toxic, then there's only so much that they would actually care so long as they're making their sales. Right. But they do want to keep the player base happy. Right. So I think there's going to be some kind of compromise in the coming weeks where, like, you know, maybe we'll, whoops, maybe we'll see uh, Jet Synchron banned. Maybe we'll see Tuning banned. Honestly, I think that card is almost as degenerate as uh, Jet Synchron in this format because it's not once per turn. The supposed downside of that card is actually a plus because it just it like puts your Golden Boy in the grave or puts a Scarlet Sanguine in the grave or it puts like a, an O-Lion in the grave and you get a free token that way. So like it, there's so many interactions that that card was not designed for. Like you were mentioning earlier, uh, cards that were printed a long time ago are not designed with 2020 in mind. They did not have 2020 vision. Right. <laughs> so. Yep, I agree. Uh, let us know at home what you think could be the future hits on the ban list. And uh, yeah, let us know whether it's on YouTube or Discord. Where do you think the meta is going? With that being said, let's transition into the final segment in episode number five, which is Traveling the Road of the King. So here I have my, uh, my, my trusty Road of the King copy. I have like five copies of these in my closet. Anyway. It's the Holy Bible of Yu-Gi-Oh, The Holy man. Bible of Yu-Gi-Oh, bro. So we're going to be talking about page number starting on page 202 for those of you following at home getting the read chapter 16 starting with signals so patrick holman talks about the significance of getting reads and then acting on them now i'm not going to recite this you know word for word but basically what holman talks about in this chapter is getting a range of cards. So taking into consideration what range of cards are legal and what decks play certain cards and whether it makes sense for a deck to play a certain card. So to make this more sense, to make this make more sense, 
let's use the current format. So obviously right now, the most commonly played hand trap is probably Nibiru. I feel like if you know anything about the current format, you know that you need Nibiru to balance out the heavy combo decks. And what Elva can do with one card, which Jet Synchron, that needs to be stopped. Otherwise, you just are so far behind. And so Nibiru is being played in a lot of main decks. So right now, if you're getting a read on a card, probably the first card you're thinking about is Nibiru. However, there are other cards to think about. You have to think about whether your opponent has Dark Ruler no more. Maybe if they haven't hand trapped you, maybe they don't play hand traps and they're expecting to draw into their Dark Ruler no more if they don't already have it. Sky Striker is being played, so you have to consider the format. Because Sky Striker is more popular, more people are probably playing Phantasme. So if you have the option of avoiding going into a Link Monster, perhaps you want to do that. And there's a lot of other cards to consider in the format right now. So with that being said, he says that, you know, let's say our opponent is playing Gyrgyz, this is 2014 now, in a format where Heavy Storm is banned. Then set a monster and set two spells or traps. We should learn to see this as them keeping two cards in hand. We might expect them to set all traps that they can, that they can or to summon Gyrgyz X if possible. But the fact that they didn't sends, sends a signal. It tells us that the cards that they kept in ha their hand are probably not traps or Gyrgyz Accelerator. We know this because they would have done something different if they were, such as setting more back row or summoning Gyrgyz X. And again, this is where Heavy Storm's not legal. Obviously, right now we have Lightning Storm. I feel like people don't play around Lightning Storm because it's like, you know, if they have it, they have it. But I don't want to miss out on an opportunity disrupting my opponent's combo if I, if I don't set my cold by the grave. So this is his comparison. I, and then he says, we can then ask ourselves to think of all the cards that would have been, that would have made sense for them to keep in their hand. So obviously right now, you know, back then, hand traps weren't really a thing. Obviously, Maxi was legal, Effect Baylor was legal. Those were really only two hand traps being played, and they weren't even commonly played. I mean, Maxi was popular, Effect Baylor here and there, but right now we have Ash, we have Ghost Mourner, we have Ghost Bell, we have Ghost Ogre, we have cherries we have every hand trap there could possibly be so this is probably as relevant as ever because it's important to stay informed in like what the current cards are that people are using to stop your opponent and you know after he says after we come up with a full list of possibilities we can start a process of elimination to see what is left we can do this by asking where would it make sense for them to activate a certain card if they were to have it for example, if we summon a monster with more than 1,500 attack and it doesn't get stopped, we might assume that their set wasn't bottomless trap hole. I would make this comparison to summoning a very powerful monster against four back row and seeing if they have Solemn Judgment. I think Solemn Judgment is a very widely played trap, especially if you're playing against a, a control deck like Sky Strikers or maybe Guru. I think every Guru player plays two or three copies of Solemn Judgment. So I feel like that's you know important to have in the back of your mind. I would say that the easiest one to determine is called by the grave. If your opponent says thinking on a graveyard effect, they for sure have called by the grave because it's one of the only cards that they can have set that stops specifically that. And so, like already in my mind, as someone who's seasoned in the current meta, I would say called by the grave. If you're playing against four sets, I would say called by the grave, solemn judgment. There could be only one. Uh, and we'll, we'll read a little bit more. Uh, we could then eliminate it from the list of possibilities of what they could have left. If they left, let our attack go through, we might, 
be able to cross up dimensional prison or whatever stopper that was on the, our mental list of what they expected to play. So obviously right now we don't have an attack stopper in the game, but we can kind of see what he means. So when it comes to making reads, what do you think is the most important part about making a read? Because I feel like Nibiru is the biggest one. I don't think you want to commit as hard to into a Nibiru because if they have Nibiru, then you just lose everything. And if you're able to make a negate, then that's very important. But sometimes I know when I'm playing at Emancipator, I have to choose of whether I want to keep that Guardian on the field or whether I want to synchro it away for a Raptite or a Savage Dragon or something like that, where then 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 there is a window for them to to Nibiru me. So I feel like, in my opinion, and it's a little hard to do an online Yu-Gi-Oh rather than IRL Yu-Gi-Oh. I try to watch my opponent and their tendencies and what they try to do and try to look for context clues, which Hoban talks about as well. So could you think of an, an instance where you made a read and it, it let you win the game or put you in a better spot to win the game? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, an example I always come back to for my personal experience was shortly after the release of Nibiru. This is at a time when I was playing Thunder, like pure Thunder. I didn't really mess with the combo version too much. I, I played it a little bit, but it was too expensive for me. But I was just playing pure, and everybody's saying, oh, Thunder Dragon just dies to Nibiru. And so I was like, all right, I, I think I know how to play around it. And so I figured out a way to make Masquerina plus Titan with only four summons. And I also learned that if you make more than five summons and they Nibiru you, if you just hold a certain extender, then you can still make a board. So I was playing against this guy at Locals, and he was doing that very obvious thing of, like, counting my summons. Mm -hmm. And so as, like, I was watching the wheels turning in his head, he was like, okay, do I Nibiru here? Do I Nibiru here? And I was like, all right, I know he has it, just by right. his body language and the right. way that I can see him thinking. Right. And so that that allowed me like reading that signal that he was sending me allowed me to make the decision, look at my hand and go, can I play through a Nibiru or should I just play safe and make four summons with Titan Mascarena and just make his card dead, which Patrick Hoban also talks about is like making your opponent's cards dead right. is one way of like outthinking them and outwitting them. Right. So I looked at my hand and I saw, Oh look, I drew the thunder dragon fusion. So I have an extender no matter what he does. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, all right, play your Nibiru, give me the giant token. And then I ended up killing him with the token on the next turn because he couldn't really do anything else after that. Right. Now I agree. I was actually on the other side of that. So this was the second weekend that Nibiru was legal at the Catskill regionals. I had recently played against it in the Brooklyn regionals where I only got Nibiru once. Didn't really hurt me. I got top four at that regionals and I was very happy about that. I used Dimension Shifter. It was pretty good. I was playing Pure Thunder. So uh, then I played Pure Thunder again at the second at uh, the next regionals, the next weekend in Catskills, and I was in a scenario where I didn't draw any hand traps, but I needed to ha I needed to have a hand trap to win that game because my opponent was playing Rockets, and this was one of the first weekends. I think this was the first weekend that that Rocket Structure deck was legal, and I had no clue what the cards did, and all I knew is that my opponent was about to pop off. I think we were both undefeated by round. I think it was round five. We were both four and zero. Oh. And he was like popping off. And then I go thinking on summon. And I, I didn't have Nibiru in my hand, but like the only way I would win <laughs> the game is if I did have Nibiru in hand. So let me just take it. So you know how they say fake it till you make it? I just acted as if I did. And I was like, 
all right, that was that was seven summons. Yeah, that's fine. I'll let that go. And I tried to do it as, uh, you know, I tried to fake him out as much as I could. And he was literally, his hands were shaking. Like, he, he didn't know what to do. And he ended on a Boral Sword. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's, like I think, that's broken. I think I, I think I did. And then I destroyed him, like, on my turn. And anyway, at the end of the regionals, at, at the end of our round or whatever, he came up to me and was like, bro, you know that if you didn't do that, I would have had, like, three to four negates with, like, a follow-up? And I'm like, yeah, I know, but, like, I just... I just hope that, you know, by faking you out, I would somehow make you mess up. And that's exactly what happened. So it can work both ways. But I feel like, you know, adding context clues to, like, Patrick Hoban says, like, is asking your opponent, is the torrential gone? Like, asking your opponent questions to trying to read them, I think is very, like, useful. And it's hard to do online because you can't really get a reaction from your opponent other than just them saying no or yes or whatever but like yeah. i feel like if, if i ask my opponent like hey like you have nibiru so let me just not continue and if they like smile or look at their hand like w- something i do when i mst my play my opponent i have mystical space typhoon or cosmic and they have multiple back rows i don't look at the back rows i look directly at their face and i look where their eyes are and if they look at a specific card i'm like i know that like they value that card the most like because they, they're looking at it so i always watch their eyes and i look at what cards they're looking at and i pick the one that they look at so that's one secret of how i choose what to blind mst if i'm in that situation or twin twisters whatever it might be so there's so many things that you can do to enhance your mental game and i feel like a lot of people just focus on deck lists and of course that's very important but i feel like in a solved format what it comes down to is knowing your deck, knowing your opponent's deck, but also, you know, trying to use your mental game capabilities, your mental game skills, and trying to outwitting your opponent. I feel like that's very important. Yeah, Patrick Hoban talks about it in the book. He says, every time you sit down to play a game of Yu-Gi-Oh!, it's a battle of wits just as much as it is a card game. Right. And I think that is so cool. That's one of my favorite things about Yu-Gi-Oh! is like, when you're able to psych someone out and like they had no business losing that game and you had no business winning, but like you did with the, the Boral Sword play, like sometimes it really does come down to who is stronger mentally. And it's, it's funny how like they talk about that in the anime too. They're like, right. you know, who, who's, a, who's stronger mentally. Yeah. And they, they it, it's in the, obviously it's an anime, but right. they kind of employ the same concept of like out, um, like psyching out your opponent. Yep. And that definitely does play a factor. Like you mentioned blind MST or blind cosmic. One thing that as a person who plays deck plays decks with back row, if that happens to me, I'm anticipating if I if I've gauged the skill level of my opponent and I'm I know I'm like say playing against you, I know that you're gonna be looking at my eyes to see what card I value the most. So the first thing I would do is I ask what's your target? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will respond without even asking, okay, what's your target? Mm-hmm. I don't even look at my cards when I get blind MSC'd or blind cosmic or twin twist or whatever. Yeah. I just go like, all right, uh, declare your target. And then I might look at the target, mm-hmm. but it, a lot of it has to do with the poker face. I if agree. Poker, to, face, poker face is so poker face key. is a huge thing. One, one story that's not in the book that Hoban told me personally when we were just hanging out or whatever, he told me 
a scenario where in pendulum format, I believe it was Pepe format, there was a correct play to make if your opponent had Tarnagorgon, which is a rank four that redirects targeting effects. And there was a correct play to make it if they didn't play it. So he was trying to figure out which play to make. And he was like, hey, do you have an English Carnegie Mine's French. I just need to read something real quick. And if their opponent did so much as check their extra deck to see if it was there, then he knew that they played it. So it was one tool that he used to figure out his opponent's deck list. And I think it was just brilliant because once you figure out what cards your opponents are playing to, to counteract your strategy, then you're easily, you know, able to mitigate that. So I think for those of you at home who want to get better at the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, feel free to, you know, just look in a mirror, see, see what, see how you play, like look at your mannerisms, you know, sit up straight. Posture is key in Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, uh, but also, you know, talk to your opponent, talk to yourself in the mirror, how you would talk to your opponent and try to engage with yourself and see if you're, you're doing yourself justice when it comes to the mental game, because I feel like if you don't and you're just sitting there like this playing your cards, I feel like you're, you know, you're going to hurt yourself because people just abuse your, you know, your lack of a poker face as Zach mentioned. So I think it's very important. So uh, anyway, uh, pretty much running out of time, but Zach, thank you for joining the podcast this week. We're, we expect to see a lot more from Zach. Zach, do you have anything that you want to say after your first, official episode of being on the shadow realm podcast well i just want to shout out the money lounge thank you guys for having me it's going to be a real good time coming back and making more content with the podcast and uh as well i got a subterra deck profile coming at you pretty soon nice uh so i hope you guys are ready to see that um thank you for hosting and you know, we'll uh, we'll just activate set rotation, put two field spells face down, and end our turn. End our turn. So let's do that right now. Let's end our turn with a little bit of a conclusion. Thank you guys for watching. Also, as always, subscribe to the Bamani Lounge Yu-Gi-Oh! YouTube channel. And, you know, get in our Discord. Get involved in the conversation. Let us know what you think about these podcasts. And follow us on Spotify. And yeah, guys, have an amazing week. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Until then, this is Zach. I'm Henry. I'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys.